to tip your servers or they will become life coaches. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Hate Spinnerbait, the podcast where we hate spinnerbait, but we love service industry workers. Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm Michael Ann, and joined with me, as always, is Bethany. Hi, Bethany. Hello, How's it going? Um, it's going really great. And I would just like to reiterate, please of your servers, respect your servers, remember mm -hmm. that they are mere mortals like yourselves. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, this is going to be a ranty episode, I can tell you that. <laughs> Prepare. The two of us have worked in food and beverage for many a year, mm -hmm. so we have some stories, we have some thoughts, we have some feelings, so pretty much for the next few episodes of Keeping the Moon, everyone just mentally prepare yourself for that. Yes. Also, hi. Yeah, we're reading Keeping the Moon. I think most of you know that by now because we prepped you on that. But yeah, <laughs> Keeping the Moon. Here we are. Book three, baby. Last book of the 90s. It's 1999. We're all freaking out about Y2K. We're all requesting we NSYNC and Britney and Backstreet Boys on TRL, the worldwide premiere. Duel of the Fates has dropped on TRL, and it's a good time to be alive. Phantom Menace is coming out. It wasn't great, but Meh. Darth Maul is really cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you've hit some of my uh, 1999 trivia facts I had. Well, I've already, I've already spoiled some of that. I was just going to say, hit us with a beautiful 1999 trivia, but I did just, I just dropped some. But we'll it's still... okay. I have, I have more. So... Excited. Let's okay. get into our time machine. Bethany, you have the time machine noise. <laughs> it's beautiful. So we are in the year 1999. It is the last year of the 1900s. Um, and here are some fun facts. So in TV, a couple great shows were debuted. Um, Freaks and Geeks, which is so good. And I oh, cannot so believe good. that it only got one season. And I'm furious. Um, Before it's time. Yeah, absolutely. Before it's time. And then we have The West Wing, which I know you are a big fan. Mm, so good. I love mm -hmm. The West Wing. <laughs> Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, which truly had me in a chokehold when I was younger. We had the computer game. And we had everything. Yes, I love that you had the computer game. I did not, but I'm retroactively jealous of you right now. It was wild. I mean, I never got past like $300, but it's fine. <laughs> Um, and then lastly, SpongeBob SquarePants debuted in 1999, which is a classic, true oh, testament to our childhood. He's a Broadway star now. He has a whole SpongeBob? Broadway show. Yeah. 
came out a few years ago. I don't know if it's still running, but it was nominated for some Tonys. That's your fun fact. It's not it's not that song. Couple well, I haven't listened to the whole show, but the couple songs I've heard, not bad. (laughs) Look at that. This little cartoon on Nickelodeon. Who would have thunk it? Who would have thunk it? So that's TV. Now, as you said, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, premiered in 1999 with the most controversial Star Wars figure, I think, Jar Jar Binks. Yeah, that's true. What are your thoughts on Jar Jar? Big nope on Jar Jar Binks. Very annoying. <laughs> Glad that his role was diminished. Uh, big, big fan, though, of Ahmed Best, who plays him, who got way too much hate for years. He's just the actor. He didn't write the dialogue. He's a really nice guy. He now thankfully has been redeemed in the Star Wars community. He comes to conventions now and always gets a standing ovation, which makes me very happy. But he was very target of a lot of racist hate for many years. So Mm. which he did not deserve. So I'm glad that he's made amends or we as the Star Wars community have made amends with him. Because again, he did nothing wrong. We were the ones who were in the wrong for being mean to him. Not me personally, but the other a-holes who did. Star Wars fanboys are so racist. It's insane. It's real bad. There's The Star Wars fandom is is such an interesting place where you can both be. And again, I want to make it clear that like real fans are not like that. Because even if you call yourself a fan and can list a bunch of trivia, if you're a racist a-hole, you're not a real fan of Star Wars because you're completely missing the entire point of Star Wars, which is like you know, the empire is like the Nazis, y'all. They're the bad guys. Um, and the good guys are the rebellion. So you're not, you're missing the whole point. But essentially, and that's why I always enjoy going to Star Wars conventions is because you find people that just love, there's just this vitriol online. So much of people claiming to like Star Wars, who again, in my heart of heart, I think do not actually like mm-hmm. it because they don't understand it. But when you go to a convention and you're just like surrounded by people who just love even the bad stuff, even the Jar Jar Binks and the Phantom Menaces and all of that for <laughs> a week, it's the most like amazing time. And you remember, because uh, most of the time it's not, it's embarrassing to be like, I'm a Star Wars fan because it's so toxic and filled with hate. But for that, like four days when you go to Star Wars Celebration and it's like this massive love fest, you're like, oh yeah, oh, yeah this is why, this is why I like this. <laughs> that sounds so lovely. That's a good time. I highly recommend it. If there's one thing I recommend to anyone who, when people talk about Star Wars, it's always like, what's your thing outside of the movies that you like? Like, is it the shows? Is it the comic books? Is it the collecting of the action figures? And my thing I always say is the conventions. It's my absolute favorite thing about Star Wars. Maybe, I mean, the movies, of course, like, I guess are probably my number one. But other than that, I would say the conventions because it is just the most, magical exhausting but like magical experience that you can like seriously it is just such a love fest for like three to four days i love it (laughs) that's amazing i love that um yes i have a lot of thoughts and feelings about episode one but most of them are from like a distance i am a star wars fan but not um like a super intense one i guess or like a i don't know i I have all these star wars things right behind my head (laughs) But I'm not like, you know, with Harry Potter, it was like a lifestyle with Star Wars. It's just like something I like. Um, But yes, Jar Jar, annoying. And uh, Darth Maul was in it for like five seconds. Yeah. But I hear that you could have had more. 
I hear that you uh, learn more about him in the Clone Wars show. Yes. Yeah. And Clone Wars and Rebels, he, um, or well, Clone Wars, uh, he definitely has much more of a role. My husband and I always say this thing that even the worst Star Wars movie, we rather watch over most movies. So even when I say that like Phantom Menace is by far my least favorite Star Wars film, this all, by the way, everyone is Star Wars talk. You were here for Sarah Dustin, <laughs> but little did you know you'd get like a 10 minute diatribe on Star Wars. But Phantom Menace is my least favorite. It's not my husband's least favorite, but it is mine. But with that said, I also like really love it. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Like the amount, like the score, the costuming, the mm. Weird Al song that was made because of it, which technically came out years later, but is basically about Phantom Menace. Fantastic. So yeah, it's so weird how many things I love about Phantom Menace, even though I don't like, that's not my favorite Star Wars movie. But yeah, anyways, that's enough about me droning on about Star Wars. <laughs> I love that. I love it. Um, okay, so other movies that came out that are kind of relevant to our podcast, a, a lot of stuff came out, but some notable ones. Um, She's All That. Oh, yes. Also, yes. Rest in Paul Walker. Mm, R.I.P. Um, then American Pie came out, which is a classic. Uh, Jason okay. Biggs. His wife, Jenny Mullen, is like my favorite, one of like my favorite celebrities of all time. I've read all of her books. She's so funny. Um, you know, Jason Biggs is cool too. Yeah, he are right. No, he is. He's <laughs> I like I accidentally just shaded Jason Biggs and I really didn't mean to. He seems like a really lovely guy. But Eugene Jenny Levy, Mullen. Like bless Eugene Levy for giving birth to Dan Levy so we could get shit screen. Oh, so yeah. thanks to all the Levies out there. Yeah. And then um, we also have 10 Things I Hate About You, speaking Ugh. of hot dead people. Oh, my God. <laughs> Big rest in peace. Do, you all, I remember where I was when I found out Hugh Ledger died. Like, do you, like I have a vivid memory of that. Me wild. too. I was so sad. What a great guy. Gone before his time. That honestly Gone depresses before me. His time. Yeah. Great I movie, mean, though. another overdose. Yep. I, this everybody should check out endoverdose.net to be trained in identifying an overdose and reversing it. It takes 30 minutes. It's very easy. Um, but yes, I remember where I was. My sister was living in Italy for the year because her husband had, um, was playing hockey over there, which is very fancy sounding. Um, it's very fancy sounding. It was fancy, but anyway, I was like, this was like before, I don't know, what year was this? This was like 2009 or something. So the, yeah, the communications were still kind of difficult between countries. Mm -hmm. And I could not figure out how to get in touch with her because I saw on Perez Hilton that Heath Ledger was dead. And I was like, I need to tell you about this. Of course it was Perez Hilton. Mm -hmm. I love that it, you found out from Perez Hilton. Because like, yeah, that would have been around that time. Yeah, it was like 08 or 09, I think. And that would have been how we were like getting our our scoop. I actually found on the radio, which is even more like old school. Like that is breaking news on the radio. I was driving. Here we go. If y'all listen to our first episode, you might remember. This is how much of a Sarah Dustin nerd I am. My very first car ever was named the Burt Mobile in honor of the Burt Mobile from the Truth About Forever. So I was driving in my car, Burt for short. And I was listening to like the local rock station or whatever. And they like finish the song and you know like they would have a little dj chatter 
and they came on and they were like, oh my God, like really sad news. Heath Ledger has passed. And I was driving on my way at the time I was dual enrolling. So I was on my way to like my, the local community college to do, Mm -hmm. you know, like one of my classes or whatever. I think maybe, I'm not sure, an English class or something. And I was like so upset I didn't want to go to class. And then I realized like I would have to tell my mom that I was so upset that an actor I did not know from Adam was dead that I didn't go to class. And like that would not be a good enough reason. (laughs) So I was like, you should really probably just drive yourself to class, Bethany. But for a hot second, y'all, I really thought about turning around and going home and just like mourning him that evening. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, that was really freaking sad. And then his poor... um... I don't think they were married. I don't even know, know if they were together at the time. But They were um, separated, but they had their daughter together. And it was like one of those things where it was like, you could tell they clearly still loved each other, but just their lives were crazy and they weren't like going to work out. And so they, they had, yeah, they were separated. They were, they never officially, did they get married? I think they were engaged and then like called up the engagement essentially. And then like a year-ish later he had passed. And also one of the things, man, we're going to get into this book at some point, I promise. But <laughs> one of the things I, I love Michelle Williams, but who is who we were talking to his partner or his ex-partner, I guess, who he shares a child with. And I love her. I've loved her since Dawson's Creek. I think she's phenomenal. And she also was one of my many inspirations to get a pixie cut. I've had like two pixie cuts in my life and pretty much Michelle Williams was responsible. Her and like Emma Watson were responsible for both oh, yeah. <laughs> of why I decided to do my pixie cut. And I was like, I could do that. Many who she's walked a pixie cut most of her life and she did it around the time that he passed. And she said, you know, the people always like men again, oh my God, this goes back to how to deal and like men and their weird obsession with women with long hair and how they can control it. And so she's like, you know, my whole life men were always telling me that I didn't look good with long hair and I wear it short for the one person who always told me I did look good with it, like in honor of Heath, basically. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) and also she looks so good at the pixie cut. So like, you're right to rock it, girlfriend. But yeah, I always remember that quote. And I was like, (laughs) oh my God. Mm, And it's sad that his, I think her daughter was like, she was like a year or under at the time. And she like never got to know her father. And that just breaks my heart. That is so sad. Oh, man. Yeah, that is sad. I also love Michelle Williams. I freaking love Dawson's Creek. How can you not love Dawson's Creek? How can you not love Dawson's it's, Creek? It's a classic. If you're listening um, to this podcast and you don't love Dawson's Creek, I'm shocked. I'm shocked and <laughs> truly <bewildered>, shocked. <laughs> if that was not something you were into. Um, yeah. Oh, also Fight Club came out. I decided to bring it up because in one of our episodes, we were like, don't date a guy whose favorite movie is Fight Club. So yeah, the every terrible guy that you know's favorite movie came out in 1999 as well. And boy, did a lot of them love. It was like a lot of pretentious films came out. Oh, and yeah. like like Fight Club. The Matrix. American Beauty, I think that's another one that it's like, oh god, the bad glowing in the winds. Green Mile, I think that's not pretentious. I like the Green Mile, but I think that came out in '99. And The Matrix, those mm-hmm. all don't really have much to do with our show. We're more intending saying about you yeah. people on this podcast, but '99 is always like heralded in like film culture. It's like a very big year, a very big like game changing year. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. 1990. Yeah. So then I just want to go over two more things, music and then just like random shit, um, nostalgia shit. 
Yes. So music, the top five on the international charts. Oh, hit me. I'm excited. Baby, One More Time by Britney Spears, of course. Damn straight. Mambo number five by Lou Bega. Yes. <laughs> That's a great one. Here's, here's something uh, everyone's going to find out at the same time, because I'm certain this has never come up between Mike Leanne and I, because why would it have? But fun fact for everyone, I actually used to twirl baton. I'm actually a <laughs> state champion baton twirler. No lie, I'm a, state, I'm a state champion in something, and it is baton twirling. So yeah, be jealous, everyone, of my talent. <laughs> Just kidding. But for one of our recitals, we did a piece to Mambo Number no. Five, and I will never forget it. I really liked that because we we were broken up by age groups essentially in Baton, and like my I don't know Baton Academy is the best thing I can think of, like my Baton Company, I guess. And the recital, we always did one number where like all the age groups got to perform together. And that year, 1999, we did it to Mambo Number no. Five, and I loved it because it was always fun when you like from the littlest girls to the biggest girls, like all got to do a piece together. 10 out of 10. <laughs> My sisters both did, I think it's the same thing. They both did color guard. Yeah. Very similar. Which, yeah. So they would, they, I've watched a lot of videos of them because I was not alive by the time they were doing it. Um, but yeah, that is delight. When I'm watching like college marching bands or whatever, I like hone in on the baton twirlers and I judge them a little bit. Honestly, so many of them are way more talented than I. I stopped when I was like fairly young. So, I mean, if I would have continued, I would have been a star. <laughs> You'd have been a baton twirling star. Oh, <laughs> man. I would have been legendary. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, so, number three is another song that I feel really bad. This is going to get stuck in everyone's head. I'm so sorry. This song, Blue. Oh, God. Uh, Buddy by Eiffel 65. God, 1999 was a time. What a it time. Really was. <laughs> what was that song? What, what was, was that, that song? song? What were we I, doing? Oh, man. I can't even. I cannot even. Um, Number four is No Scrubs by TLC, another Ugh. timeless classic. classic. Never classic. gets old. And then finally, wrapping up the top five charts, I want it that way, but Backstreet Boys. Oh, yes. Typical. As an in-sync girl, I'm offended that no in-sync were in the top five. I'm also an in-sync girl. I so my parents saved one box of items from my childhood. No Sarah Dessen books. I had to rebuy all of them. Dang it. But inside <laughs> of this little box of my childhood possessions was a Justin Timberlake um no strings attached bobblehead. And yes. Justin Timberlake, no strings attached, Mariette doll. The doll. We had one too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad we were both dressed in girls as well, which I regret that now a little bit. Oh, hell yeah. I regret we that. We didn't know that at the time. Okay. We didn't know. We were just children. Okay. We, we had no children. idea. We were we little children. We weren't looking at the ramifications of his actions, what his sexism. Anyway, moving on. Um, and so then a couple other things that, that were popular in 1999 that I wanted to talk about. Um, first thing is fingerboards, the skateboards for your fingers. Oh, yes, I do remember those. Oh, those were dangerous in school because you'd always get them taken away because you always. start playing and they'd be like, no. Yep. 
Classic. My parents wouldn't buy one for me, but I remember all the kids had one and I was like, wow, this is so cool. You can just do like, people did like kick flips and stuff. And it was yeah, like, with their fingers. <laughs> amazing. I love that. Um, and then Pokemon cards came out in 1999, which I was okay. like, which feels wrong. No, like it should be longer. Like did they like, because I remember I was big on Pokemon cards when I was living in Marshfield. And I lived in Marshfield from 1995 until 2001. Mm. So I would think it went longer than that. But I guess 1999 to 2001 is a long time when it's you're a decent, kid. Yeah. Especially for like a childhood fad, you know? Because I yeah. guess I would have been... What grade was I in as we entered the millennium? I think I was in third grade. So that sounds right to me about the time that like, because I feel like from like third grade to like fifth grade, Pokemon cards were like the thing. So that, I guess that tracks probably. Yeah. I still have a lot of mine still. That was another thing my parents kept. Shout out. Um, And then of course we had the Nokia cell phone game, Snake. Oh, the amount dick, of dick. time I spent playing Snake, I can't even. Snake got me through so many. Like, I remember, I want to say probably around that time. I don't know why. It's just like, it's probably, there's like five states, the United States of America, that give a crap about high school football. And I happen to live in one of them. So <laughs> I remember for some odd reason, we had to go to high school football games before even I feel like my sisters were even in high school. I don't know. I like, I just remember we went to them sometimes and I had no idea why I needed to be there. And <laughs> my parents obviously had like Nokia phones and I would just like sit there playing snake. Cause I like did not give a crap about this high school football game. Alas. <laughs> I loved it. I always played it on my siblings phones. Um, and then as you said too, the last thing I had is the Y2K panic. Everyone thought the world was going to end. I was, in 1999, I was seven, eight, seven. I was seven in 1999, and I thought that the I have an anxiety disorder and OCD, and it was very much untreated and ignored when I was a child, and I truly thought the world was going to end. I remember being so terrified on uh, New Year's Eve. I was like, this is it. This is the end. We're all going to die. I know it. I know it. That poor little girl. It is really funny. Not funny that you just said that because obviously it's not funny, but ironic that you said that because I was just about to say as an adult who now understands she has an anxiety or has anxiety and as a child who did not know that anxiety was like, well, anxiety is a thing, but like, you know, I have an anxiety disorder or whatever. Um, That tracks. That makes so much sense because no one in my family was concerned about it. And I was so worried. Like we had to go over to family friend's house that night and I thought, like the world's going to end and my parents yep. just want to go to a party. And I remember like thinking that in my little, you know, child brain, which again, I did not understand that I was a little anxious child, but now as an anxious adult, I understand that. And I was <laughs> like, that's just so funny that you just said that. Cause I was like, yes, same. I 100% bought into it. Like my dad is very like pragmatic about that kind of stuff. And I, they would like watch the news all the time and they'd talk about it. And I was terrified of it. And my dad was just like, not a big deal they're working on it it's not a big deal but we literally because again like obviously at that age I was not allowed to stay up very like very late very often because yeah I was like eight years old or whatever 
And the one time was when we knew yourselves allowed to like stay up to midnight and then you basically had to go to bed like right after. So we're at our family friend's party and they were counting down and I really thought everything was just because the commercials kept being like everything's gonna go boom. And I really thought that in my mind that was gonna happen. And I just remember like being so relieved and like all the lights were still on and everything. And I was like, okay, we're all right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know. I feel like all we have to do is tell a therapist that story and they'll be like, okay, yeah, you do need like, medicine. You probably should have known that you were a little anxious, John. It's like, yeah, I didn't I didn't get that then. But you know what? I really it wasn't until college that I understood the anxiety. <laughs> if I only would have known in my younger years that the thoughts mm. that we're having were not normal. <laughs> like, yeah, like, oh, I can't even tell you how much different my life would have been if I understood that I was I had OCD when I was like 12 instead of not knowing until I was like 28. Right. Because that shit's scary. That shit's yeah. fucking scary when you don't know what it is and you're like, oh my God, if I wear these clothes again, my whole family's going to die in a car crash. Like, it's very yeah. stressful. <laughs> yeah, especially for a little child. Like, with a yeah. Yeah, like that's it's, it is stressful now as an adult. Like, when you're a little child with your little child brain, like, yeah. Incomprehensible, really. Mm-hmm. So that's everything I wanted to say about 1999. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everyone. Uh, basically, moral of the story, 1999, what a time. What a time. Did yourself. Did also everyone out there with anxiety, did you think the world was going to end in Y2K? <laughs> and are you like, dang, yeah, I really should have known then that something, something was a little off with the chemicals in my brain. Wouldn't it have been nice to know? <laughs> it would have been really what nice to know. Maybe it would have been nice to know. <laughs> <laughs> So here we are keeping the moon copyright 1999. So one thing we haven't been doing that I wanted to start doing the dedications. Yes. Okay. Seriously. This is freaky because I was <laughs> just about, we were like really wow. Apparently whatever episode we're on now, episode 10, we have actually just morphed into one person. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm, it was bound to happen. <laughs> But yes, I agree. Can we, because I read this dedication and I was like, we need to read this. And also we really should start reading the dedications. Why have we not done that? But you know what? We're only on book three. So we caught on pretty early. Agreed. So I'll read it. It says, for Lee Smith, who taught me, for Lee Smith, who taught me, and for past and present dancing burrito girls everywhere. I would like to acknowledge Janet Marks and the Hensley family for their unwavering presence and support and Phil and Vicki Campbell for my years at the Flying Burrito, the inspiration for this story and countless others. Thank you. I will say, as we know, as we talked about in the um, first episode, I believe, um, Sarah Dustin was a waitress. She worked at the Flying Burrito. And Bethany and I have been waitressing for like a decade, basically. Yeah. That's how we met. That's how we met our partners. Um, and there is something to be said about the camaraderie and the friendships that you make in the restaurant industry. There's really nothing like it. You don't find that kind of support system in a corporate setting, I will tell you. Um even though yeah. we have both worked at corporate restaurants, it's different because right. it's still a restaurant. Um, 
And so I love that this book is dedicated to the waitresses and the, and I'm sure there are also waiters, I should just say servers, at the Burrito <laughs> Girls, um, the Flying Burrito. And I love that. And I think that that is a great way to start this beautiful story about friendships in the service industry. Yes, I thoroughly agree with you. I very much enjoyed this dedication. I like something about, which again, I guess is probably just because I have worked, you know, in the service industry for so long. When I read that, like for past and present dancing burrito girls everywhere, like it got me like a little, like, like a little yeah. side. So I was like, yeah, like there really is something about all the ones you worked with and like wanting better for the ones that come after you and there mm -hmm. is a bond. Like you were saying, like you really are forged in like fire if you like yeah. become friends with someone because of like a restaurant. Like the the conversations you have, the weird bond that you have for life is it's very hard to explain unless you've also been in the service industry. So anyone out there, our fellow service industry peeps, we respect you and what you do and i'm sure that you all can very much relate to this novel as much as the two of us have been relating to it <laughs> absolutely so chapter one we finally have kind of a normal name nicole sparks is like a average sounding name she does go by coley which is i guess slightly different and in chapter one do we already get very different mommy issues than the last two novels but of course oh, yeah. in typical Sarah Destin fashion two pages in and you're like ooh there they are they're present and also boy do we get some real like fat phobic 1999 I will say like Sarah Dessen isn't really being fat phobic because of the things she says kind of in later chapters and the way like we're supposed to be sympathizing with Coley here who is like yeah. kind of upset that she lost weight like she was kind yeah. of okay the way that she was and yeah. her mom is I think very much kind of painted in the wrong here so I will give Sarah Dessen credit where I'm saying that she is not being fat phobic herself but boy there's some real fat phobic stuff going on in chapter one yeah I right think like <laughs> I think right off the bat we can notice that one of the major themes that we're going to see in this novel and we've seen it in the past a little bit but the may i think a major theme in this this is body dysmorphia um you know fat phobia of course um but i think and i this was one of my favorites and i know i read it a bunch but it's been so long and i <laughs> and so i don't remember how it ends but so far it feels like as you said, like we are seeing um, someone trying to become comfortable with weight. And we see Mira, who we'll get to, who seems fine with her weight. And right. that's how everyone should be because no matter your size, you're beautiful and it doesn't matter. And health isn't even related. And listen to Maintenance Space, the podcast. Oh my God, literally listen to Maintenance. So much in chapter one, I was like, Maintenance Space was tearing you apart, Kiki. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Michael Hobbs and um, oh no, I forgot her name. Uh, Aubrey Gordon. Yes, Michael Hobbs and Aubrey Gordon would rip Fly Kiki a new one. Boy, would they? Boy, uh, and also it's so funny reading this first chapter. How I realized because you, when we first 
what is her full name again? Catherine, I believe, before she becomes Kiki. When you mm. first, she first like starts her journey. Like she's seems like a really likable person, like maybe a little bit of a hot mess, but like, oh, and I'm not saying body wise. I want that to be clear. I just mean like in her life, they were like living out of a car. So like she might mm-hmm. not have been like the most responsible adult, but she seemed like a good mom, a good caring person, great personality. And I've listened to one too many episodes of maintenance phase where they talk about all these weird people who start fat diets. And it's like, they were this nice, normal person. They started this diet book. They started over and they just like go off their ever loving mind and become like the weirdest people. And I'm like, why is it that everyone that suddenly turns to like hella diet culture turns into the weirdest people? (laughs) Speaking of the restaurant industry, I just want to mention... Um, I just want to give a little shout out to all of the servers who become like personal trainers, quote unquote, with no training whatsoever. They're just like social media personal trainers that are like, first of all, they're, it's not healthy. It's not safe. They do not know what they're talking about. No, they're they basically don't. just scamming you and filling you with like emotional uh, or like a positive quotes and, and all that bullshit. Yeah. Um, life coaches out there. Yes. Out yes. There. Life coaches. Yeah. 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 I love throwing like, that term around. They're like, get to life the gym. Coaches. Nothing helps you. We're depression girl, more than girl boss. Out. Work it out. Whatever. And it's like, no. Also, okay. yeah. Never take a diet advice. Like, go see if you actually just want to like eat better. Again, not for losing weight purposes, but because you're like, I'm feeling tired. I'm maybe my health isn't good. My doctor told me I need to get my cholesterol down. Like go see someone who actually went to school for years to learn these things, you know, nutritionists and doctors. And again, even doctors aren't the best at stuff. Sometimes. Right. Let's be honest. If you're going to a general practitioner, which again, it's, it's not their fault. I'm not saying they're purposely trying to be bad. It's just, they did not specialize in that thing. They have a bunch right. of general knowledge to be a general practitioner. So Go to your general practitioner and be like, hey, what's up, GP? Can I get a specialist who can help me with these things? And go talk to them and not someone who randomly decided one day they wanted to be a girl boss and yeah. <laughs> and become a life coach because they don't they don't know what they're talking about. And they're not no. going to set you up for the healthiest lifestyle. They're just going to try to cut calories, which is... And- do workouts that aren't <laughs> personalized to your body and your skill set and it's just yeah. it's unsafe people okay and also this is another reminder tip your servers or they will become life coaches and harass all their nobody coworkers. wants that everyone so please i'm telling you let your servers make a good living wage so they don't have to cram up all of our social media accounts with their life coaching abilities yes. okay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Public service announcement. <laughs> already, we're already in it, people. Okay. We're already in it. We're already in it. So we see like um Kiki is dropping Kali Coley. I think I've been pronouncing it Kali in my head, but Coley well, is probably right. Coley, because like Nicole. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that makes I think, sense. I guess. Yeah. So Coley is um getting dropped off at the train station she's gonna go stay with her kind of estranged aunt in colby north carolina for the summer because kiki is going on a european tour and apparently doesn't want to bring her daughter which seems kind of shady but okay yeah why can't she go to europe (laughs) seriously seriously but um 
on page two, I had to make a note. I know we talk about Gilmore Girls a lot, but um, we she kind of mentions that Kiki's assistant will be fired before they even reach the airport, um, which is very Emily Gilmore yes. with her maids. Yes. Um, rich oh, white women who just Gilmore. yell at the help. Yep. Yeah, I... Uh, there she's dropping her off yeah that part i also got gilmore girls vibes from that and then she's basically telling her oh, already it's like page two and i'm already like mm, i miss mother <laughs> and she's like you'll keep up your workouts right it would be a shame to gain all that weight back oh fuck off <laughs> mm-hmm. okay she's a teenage girl and her body is literally changing at this age and your weight is going to fluctuate and that's fine because that's what happens with hormones but and <laughs> that will travel one of the things i think they talk about this in maintenance phase or maybe this is just something i've seen before but you're as an adult all of the body issues you have a lot of them can come from your mother if your mother was someone who was constantly dieting obsessing over their weight obsessing over your weight and you know, they're just a product of capitalism and, you know, whatever our standards for beauty. But yeah, I mean, this is like, she's going to carry this with her, you know, like, Mm -hmm. it's not good. It's not good. It's very, it's, I'm like, she's 15 and you made your daughter join like a workout regimen and made her lose 45 pounds at 50. And like, that's the thing. It's like, (sighs) It really doesn't seem in this first chapter as she's kind of Coley is, is describing it that like sh- that was something she really wanted to do. Yeah. Which even if she wanted to, probably, you know, not good. But it's like even worse that it just feels like it was very much forced upon her. We do talk about so she's getting dropped off. They're saying their goodbyes. Kiki's being very Kiki Sparks, you know, fitness woman extraordinaire and telling her daughter to not eat too much and you know exercise and whatnot and so then coley kind of talks about her first real memory which is leaving a 7-eleven it sounds like they moved a lot they were leaving i believe texas before they inevitably end up in charlotte which is where she now lives full time of course the she's going to colby so she's taking the train to go over to colby and she was talking about um like her mom and she just seemed like she was just like really, I don't know, full of life. Like she seemed like she had like a really big personality, which of course she says they called up the fat years, which again, just like, oh, cringe. Yeah, cringe. cringe. That's what you're instilling in your daughter is to think of, I just can't imagine. I can't imagine like raising a human and making them like, I don't think like intentionally she's trying to make her feel like crap, but like you're making your own daughter feel like crap about herself, which I just yeah. can't, I can't imagine doing that. So she's talking about how her mom kind of jumped from job to job. She was doing Mary Kay. She was doing um, all these different, you know, things here and there. And then she gets to Charlotte where she ends up working at this basically um, a lady fitness is what it's called or whatever. And she gets into aerobics class. And this is the thing that just like makes me really sad because she talks about how the instructors loved her and she really started enjoying it. And she kind of found a community, which again, it sounds like they jumped from place to place. And part of me like 
loves that for her mom, that she was able to find this community doing this thing that she liked. Because again, like there is nothing obviously inherently wrong with working out by any means, like work out if that's something you want to, that is good for you. Again, if you're doing it for beauty standard reasons, I'd recommend, you know, that not being your focus as to why you want to work out. But if you're doing it, you know, for just overall, like mental health reasons and, you know, whatever, helping with, I don't know, energy levels and stuff, then like right on. And so it sounds like she just kind of started doing it because it was fun and she liked it. And she had this like larger than life personality and people loved her classes. And it just makes me so sad that she was just like so normal and just like loving this community that exercise. Cause again, like exercise, we've all seen legally block exercise gives you endorphins. Endorphins make you happy. Happy people don't kill people. So she's getting all these endorphins and building this community and that's great. And it does make me sad because I actually, I do take, there's a dance studio that I go to and I take a couple of dance classes. Um, I try to go weekly, but if I'm honest, the last couple of weeks with the way work has been, I don't always make it every week, but I do love going. And I mostly go because of, yeah, like just the the community of it. There's instructors that I love and I want to see them and I want to see what dances they've come up with. And the lady who owns the studio is the nicest lady. And you see the same people in the classes. You're like, oh, hey, how's it going? And like, that's why I go. And again, because as much as I hate to admit it, like you do feel really good afterward. I know. It's so <laughs> annoying. That, but you really do. And it's, it's fun. And so it just makes me sad when people turn that into diet culture and this obsessive need to look perfect and whatever when that's not what going to an aerobics class honestly should be about and I know the people go to aerobics classes because they want to look a certain way but also no it should be about like I don't know dancing and having a good time and like picking out fun songs and not whatever not being so stressed yeah yeah it's it's very it's very unfortunate to see something that just seemed like something that was giving her life turn into kind of an obsession um, that she puts onto her young daughter who oh, who she forces to also lose a bunch of weight. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, she and, said at the top of page six about like, sometimes in my bed at night, I find myself still pinching the skin at my waist, forgetting that there was nothing there to hold on to anymore. Ugh just tear out my heart right now that's so depressing yeah i feel really bad about this yeah she says my body had changed parts of me just disappearing like i'd wish them away i had cheekbones muscles a flat stomach clear skin just like my mother but something was missing something that made us different i could build muscle but not confidence there were no exercises for that i love that line and that's another thing too you know like um I have gained 20 pounds in the last two years, um, which I've basically consistently been the same weight my whole life. Um, And I've been really struggling with that. Um, But it's like, it doesn't matter really what your body looks like. You need to have like that inner love and that inner confidence um, that you just can't get from just looking how, you know, you think society wants you to look or whatever. Preach. Yeah, I think it's, it is a lot easier. I think self-love is like the hardest thing to give because I can look at all of my friends and my family. And again, I look at my nieces and like, they just have such spunk and style. Like my niece, Millie, the outfit she picks out sometimes. And we always tell her like, I hope you never lose your sparkle. Um, And I I really hope that, yeah. And I just know like, it's inevitable that people are going to tear 
each other down. Like that's what happens when you go to school and whatnot and you reach a certain age, unfortunately. That's what we all do to each other at 13 and we shouldn't. But yeah, I, obviously I hope for all of my nieces that they'll always love their bodies and always feel confident. And I, it just makes me sad because I know that that's, it's not the case. Like that's just not how it works. And it is so much easier to look at everyone and be like, oh my God, you're great. But when it is yourself, like I had to go wedding dress shopping right after the world shut down for a global pandemic. And I was stress eating and I was not working, which again, I'm a server. So I'm constantly on my feet, constantly moving. So imagine just sitting in your apartment for a month and then having to go wedding dress shopping. And I, the first person, I went to an outlet. And so outlets are off the rack. And so I went, I told the lady what my dress size was. And she said, are you sure about that to me? And I wanted to leave. And I like almost burst into tears. And so I really wanted to go. And my sister was like, I'm not letting her near you. Like you're going to go pick out dresses and she's not coming near you again. And my mom and my sister both like told her to go away basically. And I picked out things and she basically just kept saying that like things weren't going to fit me. And I already felt really insecure about my body at that time. And again, we all go through bits and phases where we do. And then I went to the next store, which was not an outlet. So it was when you just kind of tried things. And actually someone that I worked with at my restaurant, um, she had picked up a new job because, you know, she knew she wasn't going to be back at our venue for a while. And it was just night and day experience. Like I got to feel like good about myself and that next one. But yeah, like nothing like already feeling really insecure about like the quarantine weight you put on and then having a lady like be a straight up be to you. So yeah. And like, no lie y'all that whole, like you enter your thirties and your metabolism slows down thing is so true. It's so true. Oh my God. I can't, I said 20 pounds in the last two years, but honestly it's been just the last like seven months um, none of my clothes fit me. It's like a whole thing. I'm actually really worried that my wedding dress isn't going to fit me anymore, but I'm just going to be fine. It's going to be staying fine. positive. You, you've got this. It's, it's going to be fine, but yeah, it's really hard. But you know, as our queen Taylor Swift once talked about in her documentary, Miss Americana, she obviously <laughs> like most of the world had some body issues, which the, a lot of that featured in her new fantastic album. And she was talking about how she couldn't, perform like she couldn't at the end of the night doing shows because she was starving herself like yeah she looked good supposedly again what society deems good and but she was exhausted at the end of every show and she got to a point where she was like I'd rather be 20 pounds heavier and be able to perform my heart out every night for my fans than start myself like this is bullshit like I have no energy this is dumb why am I doing this to myself and it's like hell yeah girl like your body is here to like you're here to nourish it and it's there to get you through the day every day and you know whatnot yeah. it's not like look good for other people <laughs> right and <laughs> taylor swift is <laughs> literally been skinny her whole like so skinny and like, the fact <laughs> that she felt the need but that's literally the society we live in we're someone yeah. like swift, who is tall blonde gorgeous everything that society deems as like a beauty standard and she still felt the need to starve herself like that that's where we're at, y'all. I didn't ban. I, I knew that there was going to be some ranting in this novel, but it's like the twofold. It's the one-two punch of like body image plus service industry. And yeah. Like, and there's really going to be a lot to say. It's going to be a lot to say. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. I remember when I started wearing makeup for the first time, I had to ask permission because that's just the life I lived. <laughs> and um, my sibling, my sister, I remember my sister specifically saying like, 
I, it's okay that you're going to start to wear makeup. It's normal, but I never want you to stop loving yourself without makeup. And that has stuck with me my whole life. And I can tell you that I did stop loving myself without makeup for like a good 10 years. I couldn't even go run an errand without putting on a full face of makeup. So it's another thing too, man. It's just like, it's fucking hard. I hope my nieces never go through that, but I'm sure that they have and will. And it's a bummer. Any of you guys are listening, um, I love you. You're beautiful. You've been beautiful since the moment you popped out of your mother's. And you are perfect and wonderful and amazing. Always. Always. Ain't nothing you can do that would make you not beautiful. Exactly. Smooch. (laughs) Much love. And this has been Michael Ann and Bethany love their nieces. (laughs) Like, if that really needs a whole theme song, because, like, one's an episode. We're just like, God damn, our nieces are great. Also, shout out to my nephews. I feel like I don't give it's just like the girl power of it all. Oh know. yeah. I like but my also, nephews too. I love my nephews a lot as well. And they're awesome and keep keep on keeping. I like how also I say this, like all of my all of my nieces and nephews are way too young to be listening to this, but I don't know, maybe one day they'll listen to it and be like, Yeah, hot damn. Mine are not. And I sent my niece Samantha the first three books and yeah. she follows me on Instagram and listen, girl. You better be listening. Just yeah, kidding. It's listen. fine if you don't. You have a like. I will you. find you at <laughs> Michael Ann's wedding and I'll be like, hey, girl, do you know this voice? Because you should. <laughs> do you know who I am? And she'll be like, oh, please leave me alone, crazy lady. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. <laughs> so we're at the, the train station. We've now got to Colby and we're going to meet Norman. Who I'm not going to lie, and again, I have read this book before, so that's the only reason I really remembered that he's, like, her age-ish. He's, like, a little bit older than her, I think. But when she he first comes to pick her up, I was, like, I kind of for a hot second forgot that he was supposed to be a teenager, and I thought that it was, like, her aunt's boyfriend. Okay, <laughs> and then so... it me later on that I'm, like, oh, no, he's, like, a teenager. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So yeah, he's her age, which is like, or like a little bit older, obviously he like lives in the basement. So I'm sure we'll get to that at some point. Um, I don't remember, but I think what's tripping me out and me thinking that he's an older man is because he's described as one as a deadhead. And yeah, I think of deadheads as being like 60 year old hippies. Yeah. Yeah. So I for sure thought that he, and she's like kind of the long hair or whatever. And in my mind, I thought it was a gray ponytail. And then I'm like, no wait he's a teenager (laughs) yeah really thought he was an older guy too i was like this is an older man also his name is norman right norman as well is a little and i did the math because i don't know i don't think it's in this chapter so i'm sorry that i'm like kind of jumping ahead but we're about to meet her aunt so it's pertinent so essentially she says that her mother had her at 20 so if she is 15 her mother should be like 35 which means that her aunt, because she said her aunt is two years older than her mom. So her aunt should be like 37. And again, as someone who is now in my 30s, 37 does not seem that old. And the way that Mira is presented in this novel, she seems, I mean, I guess she's just kind of supposed to be eccentric, but she presents so much older than someone who yeah. is 37. So that's just another weird little thing I noted. But mm. I was like, I suppose if Sarah Dustin would have been, I don't know, like late 20s at this point, that like someone like a decade older than you would seem a lot older i don't know i don't know when she comes on the podcast we can talk to her about it for sure (laughs) because it's gonna happen 
yeah, so we meet Norman. He is like he's like a manic deadhead dream boy, I guess. Yeah, he um, also does have manic pixie dream boy, but he seems he's yeah, he's definitely very eccentric. Very manic pixie dream boy. Again, except for apparently manic pixie deadhead. But <laughs> he does seem a lot nicer than the last. So far. We're early. Yeah. But he like I don't know. Seems like a nice guy. Like he lives with this kind of eccentric lady. He collects sunglasses. Again, I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead. We'll get to that. And he works. And we'll learn what he does. But yeah, he just, I don't know. The fact that he like went like picture up, I thought was kind of nice. Like this lady was just like, yo, go pick up my uh, niece from the train station. He's like, all right, whatever. And I really like the whole bit he does with the butt master. He's like, wow, what's this for? And then when he's unloading her car, he, like, places it perfectly on top of, like, her pile of stuff, which I thought was so funny. Getting a little Norman humor here. Yeah, he seems seems like he's he's got a good sense of humor. This is where we also meet Cat Norman. So there's Cat Norman and Norman Norman, which I do love that bit. I think that that's quite funny. I am a fan of Cat, both Cat Norman and Norman Norman so far. Again, it's really... But so far, I like both of them. Another um, Gilmore Girls reference. We, of course, had Cat Kirk and Human Kirk. Yes. And- yes. That is, that is very accurate. I also enjoy... So here she is just kind of like getting to meet her aunt. And this is when we first get to learn about like the little notes she leaves around. And I mm. love them. I really like Mira so far. I like that she's like comfortable in her own skin. She's doing her... I love her weird little notes. She's an artist, which also kind of explains some of the eccentricness. Um, I can't talk right now. Sorry, everyone. I was like, the word I'm looking for, eccentric. There we go. So yeah, so that, yeah, she seems like a, oh, and also when she meets her, she's watching wrestling and is like super into it. And I love that. Like, I just think that's so funny. And also it's like very, because this was like 99. It was like a big I don't, my husband, who used to be like a big Russell person, I think this may have been the attitude error or something. I don't know. I know there's like errors for wrestling. I was never into wrestling, but I can respect people that are. Obviously, most people that are interesting, like know that it's fake, but like it's, it's the same as watching a soap opera or any, again, watching Dawson's Creek. I know that none of this is real, but I'm so invested in it. And I love people that just like, I don't know, like it's a dumb thing, but it brings them joy. And that makes me happy for them. Yeah, absolutely. Sarah Dessen has, I know we've talked about this and we're going to keep talking about it, but Sarah Dessen has like such an incredible talent for creating characters. Like every single detail she puts into them just paints such a vivid picture. And it is truly like beautiful, honestly. Um, I really wanted to read really quick the description of Norman's car because this is one of those moments where I'm just like, girl, amazing. Um, (laughs) But it says, Norman's car was downright strange. Besides our headless fellow passengers, there were about 20 tiny plastic animals glued to the dashboard, lined up carefully, and a huge pair of fuzzy red dice bouncing from the rear view mirror. I think my favorite part about this is that there's a bunch of headless mannequins. (laughs) I just love it. And also that she, like, kind of sh- is, like, shading him and, like, giving him, like, a, a fake compliment. And he, like, takes it sincerely. Like, I love that he's, like, I don't know, just so far he gives off, like, a very, like, earnest thing. Like, I don't think that he, like, has a hint of, like, 
you know what I mean? Like, I think that he understands that people are poking fun at him and being sarcastic, but he's like, I'm not going to stoop to your level. Like, I'm going to take it as a genuine compliment. And I love people that can do that, that just are like, I'm not letting you get to me. Like, I'm an, I like it. And I'm going to take that as a compliment. And like, that's the vibe I got off of him from that scene. And I was like, I love that. And he's like, yeah, because she's like, nice car or whatever. And he's like, thanks. And he's like, it's a work in progress. Like, he's like proud of his weird <laughs> car. And I'm like, that's kind of adorable, Norman. Like, I'm proud Norman. of you and your your weird car, you know? I also love Mira, as you said. On page 13, we get a description of Mira. Um, it says, Mira was overweight, just like my mother had been before. Had been before she became Kiki Sparks. She had a wide face and long red hair piled up on her head like she'd done it in a hurry. A pencil and a pen were sticking out of it. She had an old, deep green kimono patterned with dragons, a big white t-shirt, black leggings, and flip-flops. Her toenails were painted bright pink. She sounds freaking delightful. Honestly, like, Aunt Goals, am I right? Yeah, I, I want to be Aunt Mira. I think that's now my goal in life. Same. We'll be like, oh, Aunt Mira. She's, she's got these weird notes around and she's watching wrestling, but she seems like a nice lady. We get to chapter two, I believe, unless there's any other thoughts that we have on chapter one. Mm, I'm trying to read this note right here. <laughs> yeah, like I wrote myself a note and don't know what it says. I want to higlate. Wait. Oh, I want to highlight everything. Um, <laughs> oh, it's when Mira is talking about Cat Norman, and she says, he's the light of my life, but he's in his terrible twos right now and going through a real distant phase. It's just breaking my heart. <laughs> I just thought that was so cute. Like, Bless uh, you, Mira. She honestly seems, I don't know, she just seems so great. I love she it. Does. Also, Cat Norman. I hope that he gets through his terrible twos and they can live happy <laughs> life together. <laughs> he will. <laughs> okay, yes, chapter two. Chapter two. So they're watching wrestling. Mira basically is like, oh, there's this place right down the corner. Like, I'm hungry. Are you hungry? I'm dying for a grilled chicken salad. And Coley's like, yeah, I could, I could definitely eat. And Mira's all like, it's your first night. Let me treat. And that's when Coley realizes like, oh, you, you want me to go by myself? You're not going to come with you. And she's all like, I went out to town once. I'm, I don't want to go out to town again. And I was like, honestly, Preach. I've never related to a character more in my life. Like when I'm in, I'm in baby. I ain't go like Uber Eats was invented for people like me because I'm yeah. like, nope, I got my PJs on. Like I come home from work. I put on like my bum clothes. And sometimes Mike will be like, hey, do you want to go to Target? And I go, no. I, like, I'm in for the night. I put on my bum clothes, and I'm in for the night. My, my bra is not on anymore. So, yeah, no, Mike. So, we're Hold done. <laughs> we're done for the night. And this is when we first get our first glimpse of the Last Chance Bar and Grill, which we will learn to uh, know and love very shortly. So, basically, Coley goes in to pick up a to-go order for her and Mira. And this is where she's still, oh, which I do like this. Is the, I'll read the description of her first take at um, Last Chance. So the Last Chance Bar and Grill was a small building on the corner, right before the exit on the bridge that crossed over to the mainland. It had one lone streetlight, a few parking places, and a neon sign that said, mirror style, food. <laughs> I loved that. I thought that was so good. I was like, yes. So that just sets you up for you. Again, it's definitely like a mom and pop kind of dive 
not like dive bar, but like dive restaurant kind of vibe. Definitely as someone who has spent a lot of time in Curie, Topsail, uh, Wrightsville, what's the other one? Surf City or all over the Carolina beach. That is, I have frequented many a last chance bar and grills in my time. And they are very filled with tourists and bathing suits and just like tiny little seafood beach places. They're fantastic. And everyone should spend a summer in North Carolina if you can. So this is when she first gets to meet Morgan and Isabel, which I love that we literally meet Morgan as she is threatening to quit. And yep. anyone who has ever worked in the service industry <laughs> understands that because that happens at least like constantly, you know, once, once a week, once a shift, you're like, I could just walk out. I could just walk out right now. What would they do? They can't, I could just walk out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just think mm-hmm. about it all the time. And I love that Isabel, like is not even phased because clearly this is something she does all the time. So she throws her apron and she's, you know, going to go quit or whatever. And of course she does not end up actually quitting. Um, all of a sudden Norman comes out from the back because we now learn that he works there and he's like, Hey, this is Drew and Mira. And he's all like, cool. And then he goes back behind the window. So we realize that he is a cook. Um, I highlighted on page 25. This is not anything. This isn't one of those like, wow, Sarah Dustin is a great author moments. Although yes, uh, 25 pages in, I'm already wowed by her 18,000 times over, but I just highlighted that she got a chicken Caesar salad, a hamburger with french fries and onion rings, all for 15, 18 with tax. And I was like, that's some 1999 shit right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, not getting I know this is like a dive bar, but still 15, 18 with tax. Are you kidding me? What a steal. What a steal. Yeah. I love so for, throughout this like entire scene, you know, um, spotted throughout this whole situation is Morgan being like, I hate this. I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. And I and she says at one point, I quit. And now I will go out and give those rude, inconsiderate fascists a piece of my mind. I love that she calls them fascists, by I the way. Too. Fantastic. And I and just was- love in that moment that I fell in love with Morgan. <laughs> yes. And I was like, am, am I Morgan? Because I have been known to make a scene in the side stations. Okay. <laughs> um, as someone who has worked with Michael and can confirm. <laughs> I have a lot of feelings and a lot of emotions and I feel them fully. What can I say? Michael Ann, a typical show with Michael Ann is like <laughs> 80% negative comments, 20% positivity and when you get that like because they're like sprinkled in is it like all in one dose you know so when you get the like sprinkled in you're like okay her day's turning around our ages and then like 10 minutes later like oh no she's back she's back (laughs) on the negative commentary to be fair um (laughs) the restaurant that we worked at together an incredibly at least when I worked there, I don't know what it is like now, but when I was there, it was like incredibly toxic, incredibly bad, low standards. We didn't have any of the supplies we needed. Our managers were all pretty much useless except for one, Kim, my angel, my, my everything, big kisses. Um, and so I was like already, and I was in, a, I was going through a lot personally. So it was like, I was already in a bad space, but I will say that, yeah, I will uh, cause a scene. I will cause a scene. And I don't have any regrets. 
I also can't throw that much shade, though. I mean, I'm a pretty pot. Most people that I work with will say I'm positive, which I, I guess, like, overall, I'm a pretty positive person. But I am also a very emotional person and a very anxious person. And, of course, being anxious and working in the service industry, it can really uh, be difficult sometimes. So I also am the per- I'm 100% guilty of being the person who, like, goes in cries in the walk-in like that's yeah oh, that's yeah. me <laughs> oh, yeah. i'm a crier i like the weirdest things i'm the type of person who can have like a shift where 90 percent of it is really good and all my guests are like super nice to me and i'm rocking it and we're feeling good and like one table is mean to me and i'm like oh the worst day ever and it's like it's not it was one table but all it takes is like that one person to just be an absolute dick to yeah. you and it can really or like stiff you and yeah one thing that's really frustrating for me as well is like to me guest experience is the most important part of the job and if you are working for a company that is not giving you the tools you need to give that guest experience you know to give the best guest experience you can that's gonna make me annoyed and mad because it, it it's like we there's no reason that this restaurant doesn't have any ice right now in the middle of a dinner rush there's no reason why the glassware is not clean this place serves a thousand people what the hell are we doing i think a thousand people is dramatic no i don't even think it is i think it's pretty accurate actually yeah yeah you're you're close you're pretty spot on with that like just run your business well that's the thing and any restaurant i've worked at yeah it's like when you don't have the tools you know, I've, I've had many conversations with managers in the past being like, it's embarrassing. Like, it's a bit, yeah. I'm trying, like, I literally this in our name, the service industry. I'm trying to serve these people. I genuinely want people to have a good time. Like, I genuinely do. Like, I'm not just like, like, yes, obviously we're all there to get paid because we live in a capitalist hellscape. But at the end of the day, like, I also do genuinely care about my my guests and I want them to have a good time. And it is straight up embarrassing when I don't have plates to get them to share an appetizer or something like that. Like that's, it, it makes you look dumb. It makes you look like you forgot something. And it's like, no, I'm really, really trying to get you this thing right now. Actually. I just don't have the supplies to do that. And yeah, it's, yeah. It's just, it's embarrassing. And it is embarrassing. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> <The service laughs> industry, y'all. I, I swear the world would be a much better place if everyone, at least for a day, had to work a dinner mm-hmm. rush in their life. They would, everyone would just be so much nicer to each other in the world. I agree. Um, so, so yeah, we see Morgan freaking out, which I love. And then, um, and I also love how Isabel just sits there and is like totally unfazed by this. Like they're just, as you said, like there's the drama which is me. And then there's like the people who are just like, here's the drama. They're like, okay. Thing. <laughs> so that, and, like you really just have to let someone vent it out. Like that's what side stations yeah. and like kitchens, like dish pits and stuff were built for. Cause it's, mm-hmm. it's literally that movie waiting where like that one girl is like super sweet to her tables and then goes into the kitchen as an Uber bitch and just like rants about people. That is accurate. Like there's at least yeah. one person in any restaurant you work at that is that person. Not everyone, not everyone is like that, but there is at least one person like that who just like goes in the kitchen, rants and raves. Everyone else is like, uh-huh, because they know that they just have to get it out. And then you all just go back to your business. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that that's what can I say? I like to bring the drama. I'm the youngest of five. I needed attention. <laughs> <laughs> she had to get it somewhere, y'all. I did. I did I really I did. Get it somewhere. Um 
but yeah, so this is happening and um, uh, Kali ends up leaving and she says, it says, over the years, I had perfected removing myself from situations. It was kind of like automatic pilot. I just shut down and retreated my brain clicking off before anything that could that hurt could sink in. Well, she oh. leaves because Isabel is an absolute bitch to her. Oh, yeah. Makes fun of her lip ring and literally calls it repulsive and then makes fun of her hair dye job and also like insinuates that she knows about like her her mom because she's like, and next time you decide to dye your hair, Isabel went on ignoring her, you should try to get all of it, all of it one color. I'm sure your mom can afford to send you to a professional. And so Morgan, who has now decided that she is not quitting, is all like Isabel and she's trying to like, kind of calm her down and and make Coley okay and yeah and Coley just like straight up gets the hell out of Dodge and shuts down because I would too if someone who I'd never met before was just an absolute via to me for literally no reason for literally no reason yeah that was that that was a lot I was like wow Isabel you know there's the Morgans and then there's the Isabels and at least I'm not an Isabel breach then we get back home and of course down because she just had this experience, which again, this is like her mom, like her inner like mother's voice. Can you now she like doesn't even want to eat because she was all excited. Like she's away from her mom. She hasn't had onion rings and a burger and fries. Like sounded so good. And then she just basically was shat on for no reason. And so now she's like, I'm not really hungry. I'm, I think I'm really tired. I'll just turn in. And Mira's kind of trying to fight it for a minute. But then she's like, Oh, you know, you had a long day. I'm, I'm sure you are exhausted, you know, go turn in. So she goes into her bedroom, um, that she, well, her bedroom that she's staying at at her aunt's house, and who shows up but basically Isabel and Morgan to kind of, well, Morgan wants Isabel to make amends. So her aunt comes in, and she's like, you have company. And so, of course, Chloe's like, I don't even know. Like, I have been in this town for a day. So she's like, company? She's like, yeah, yeah, downstairs. So she goes out into the front porch, and Isabel gives the boots, like, half-assed apology ever that Morgan essentially has to like coax her through but I I will give her again I'm gonna give Morgan most of the credit for being like hey you should go apologize but I will give Isabel some credit for actually going through with it and saying that she's sorry oh and this is where we learn also about Morgan's fiance Mark which we have not met Mark yet in this novel I'm just not getting good vibes. Like the way Morgan is obsessed with him and is my fiance, this and that, and the way she talks about him. Mm-hmm. I don't see this ending well. I again, it's been a really long time since I read this, so maybe I'm wrong and everything turns out okay. But Sarah Dustin is a goddess, and the way she is like foreshadowing this, I don't think it's ending well. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing because yeah, I don't remember what happens with Mark either, but I am. I'm guessing that it's going to be bad because yeah, at one point in like maybe the next chapter, the chapter after um, Kali says that she like picks up shifts for um, Morgan sometimes. So Morgan can wait for Mark's call. And it's like, (laughs) that's a, that's a bit of a red flag for me. Thank you. Yeah. Any other thoughts on chapter two, ma'am, before we jump into chapter three? Oh, I did have a question. So do Morgan and Isabel live in a little house on Mira's property? 
Oh, yeah, because she kind of says, I'm a little uncertain. I think that they must live close. Two reasons I'm thinking this is in this chapter when she's like, and then they like head right down the road. And then in a couple of chapters, I think in a couple of chapters, when she picks her up, they have to be at work at 930 and she picks her up at 915. So it seems like they're very close. But yeah, is it like on the actual same property or is it just like, oh, they live down the road kind of situation, you know, because also Morgan says that she'll be over for the triple threat. Like, oh, tell me or I'll see her for the triple threat or whatever. So, yeah, what exactly? It says, um, I'm going home. Isabel told, told her her duty done. She was lighter on her feet now, practically bounding down the steps and across the yard to the little white house I'd seen earlier. Yeah. So is it, like, on the property? I'm uncertain. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's definitely very close. So I'm going to say... Either it's on the property or it's right down the road. I'm not sure. But it's a little white house and she saw it earlier. It sounds so delightful. Those two living together. <laughs> so nice. I like that they're I like that they're friends, even though they're very different. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I, I enjoy their what I've seen so far of their bonds. I enjoy it. All right, so chapter three. Chapter three. We get to see a little bit more about the little notes that Mira leaves all around. My friend Katie, so this is not the first time I've mentioned her on this podcast, but dear friend Katie, growing up, to this day her mother does this, but obviously I'm not in her mother's house as often as I was growing up. She left herself little notes all over the place, and there would just be those like yellow legal paper, like, you know, notepads all over the house. And it was just like, like by the TV, it'd be like, record Grey's Anatomy tonight. And I want to be like, you can just like set that up on your TV. You know what? She likes leaving a note. Like on the cabinet, it would be like, get dishes out of dishwasher. Like whatever. It was just all these little like notes she would leave like on the floor in the living room. And you would just like walk in and you'd learn to like walk around them because you didn't want to disrupt them because like that was her system. So reading this, I uh, instantly just like, that's so funny i love that <laughs> lori if you're listening bless you you're a nice lady <laughs> you're a nice lady and i love your little notes so yeah, we get to see some more of the little notes and then this is where we learn which i think is interesting because mira gives off these eccentric artist vibes or whatever so we get full confirmation she actually used to live in Chicago, and this is where we learn a little bit about, like, Mira and Kiki's history and how, you know, they're kind of estranged from each other. And then this is what I find very interesting. Mira had been my grandparents' favorite, art school educated, full of promise, the good daughter. When is the art student usually the good daughter? Like, that's fascinating to me. Like, in I what know. world? I was, like, fascinating. My mother, on the other hand with her wild clothes and lifestyle had fallen entirely out of favor when she'd gotten pregnant at 20, which is when we learned that dropped out of college and had me. So we learned a little bit about the family history. There's a Walkman shout out. Woohoo. 1999. And yeah, so I just enjoy it. And then love this line. Do you want to see my new death card? Mira. Fantastic. Mira. Literally aspire to be you, Mira. Literally aspire to be you. <laughs> I, I want to be you. I want I will be you. I will be you. 
<laughs> so yeah, this is where we learn that she basically does what they call it, mirrors miracles. She has like a whole card line. And right yeah. now she's really into condolence cards. And she's talking about how there's like this whole untapped market. Your postman, like you could send a card to your postman's widow. I love that. Because she's like, do you give this to your mailman? I said, to your mailman's widow. She corrected me. I love that. That's fantastic. <laughs> and where we also learn that she was the one who made, oh, it's like a name of like a. Nani cards. Like, yeah. And so she's talking about that. And I was like, I think it's really interesting. So this is something that Coley has like a memory of and she really liked. And she never knew that her aunt was the one who did that, like drew that little character because there was like dolls. And she was at, you know, one of her many gas station trips with her mother and saw it and wanted it. Her mom was like, we don't have the money for that. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. Like, again, I understand that they were estranged, but they're that estranged that she wouldn't like know that her aunt had made that wild. I also like this line, which again, I think is just like why Mira is such a absolute legend. She's talking about, so, you know, they're talking about the different condolence cards, how you can send them to your mailman's widow and stuff. And so Coley's asking like, do you ever run out of ideas? And she says, not really. She said her slippered feet blue and fuzzy dangling above the floor. You'd be amazed how many ways there are to say you're sorry in the world. I haven't even begun to discover them all. And I was like, wow, like what a pure soul, like all the different ways to like, that's just so like empathetic and I don't yeah. know, kind of lovely in a weird way. And I was like, wow, that's like oddly beautiful. <laughs> I know she's yeah. talking about writing condolence cards, but like what a great way to live your life to be like, there's so many different ways to say yourself, like that she's so open to apologizing when that's something that's obviously very difficult for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, also, can you hear me? Mm -hmm. Okay. I also um, wanted to mention that um, she says that uh, you might not, but you're probably not a card person. Some people just need to give cards and they're the ones that keep me in business. And I am thinking about that scene and how to deal where Michael was buying Scarlett a card. We thought the same thing. And I laughed out loud when I read this page because I was like, apparently like Michael Sherwood and how to deal. <laughs> yeah, literally. Teenage boy. Apparently he's a card person though. Oh, so good. So funny. I was like, yeah, he's he's the one. I really now in my, because the Sarah Destin universe is all connected. Does it have a name? Like, you know, like the Kevin Smith universe is the Askewiverse. Like, we should come up with, if it doesn't have a name, we should coin a name for <gasps> like the Sarah Destin universe. But yes, I like to think that Michael, the card he's picking up for Scarlet, was from good old Aunt Mira here, in my mind, because they're all connected in this universe. Is it like, like the Lakeviewverse? The, because like, sometimes they're in Lakeview, sometimes they're in Colby. I don't know. Well, we, we're going to gonna think, think on that. that. We're going to think. Yeah. We're, we'll debut it here first, y'all. So stay tuned. Get excited. Get excited. We're going to be brainstorming that one. Um, oh, yeah. So then we get Norman. He is Norman Norman. He is. I just read the line that says that's a lot of dead mailmen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Norman so Norman good. is here. He went to. I don't know where he went that he picked up all this stuff. Oh, yard sales. He went to yard sales to get some random delights for their uh, art that they create. I love that they're both yard sale people. Also, this is very manic pixie dream boy. 
Mm-hmm. Also, um, uh, we hear about Bay Williamson, who was lurking about looking for cut glass, which I was like, <laughs> I'm like, I have questions. I would like elaborate, please, Norman. Norman. And um, <laughs> they're talking about like, did she have it with her? And it's it's gotten bigger. And uh, Coley's like, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, Bay Williamson's baby. He's the biggest head you've ever seen. <laughs> I do love that. I love how, like, we're all, like, we're body positive and everyone is beautiful. But I did love them talking about this big baby. Because, like, listen, all babies are cute, but we've all seen those babies that just have, like, ginormous heads. And you know that they're going to grow into it one day. But when they're a baby, you're like, it's just a head. Like, it's a little baby body and just a big old head. Massive. My one of my nephews had a really big head when he was a baby, and it was so cute, so freaking cute, but huge. But yeah, Probably still the same size today. Just kidding. Just kidding, Hank. If you're listening, love you. <laughs> you have a perfectly sized head, Hank. He's so sassy now. Oh my gosh. Anyway, not to go <laughs> on another that. tangent. A oh, big headed baby. Mira corrected me. Oh, I just you should see the cranium on this kid. It's mind boggling. Like I just this whole conversation is honestly hysterical to me. It is. I love it. Again, this is another on this page here, another example of like Norman being a, a, an overall good dude. Like he's like, I'm going to the library. Anything you need return? And Mira's like, you're a saint. And he's like, that's not true. And I, I do like that he just like, when he's running into town doing errands, like thinks about her. And again, I guess also you could say like, she's doing him a favor by him living there. I don't know if he pays her rent or not. That's none of my business. But um, but either way, if he does or not, I still think that, I don't know, that's oddly very nice of him. Also, this is apropos of nothing, but this book is obviously like pretty old. I've owned it for a while and it just like smells like, oh, like a book and it just makes me really happy. So sitting here, I've just been like sniffing my book. <laughs> that's the best smell. It really is. So then... Um, basically there, which, yeah, cause I guess basically Mira goes everywhere on her bike. So she's like, oh, I really appreciate it because it's a long bike ride for the library and lots of potholes. So she's very appreciative of this. And then basically Coley, uh, agrees to go with Norman on this journey because, uh, Mira's like, oh, you should like get out and explore the town. Like you've your first like full official day in Colby. You should get out there. So she goes and this again is where one of those times you're like, okay, yep, he is her age, which had been established a little bit earlier, but still that train scene, it's very hard to tell that he is her age. And then she's like, he was kind of cute if you liked that deadhead type. And it's like, oh, again, when you describe him like that, it makes it sound like you're crushing on a 60 year old. And I know that he is a teenager, but that's still disturbing. So then she grabs her Walkman there in the car together Oh, he mentions she tells him who she's listening to and he's like I've never heard of them which is where he's like pop it into the tape deck and I'm like oh 1999 and then he's like you like this and she's like yes um and then oh yeah he yells out shit because he sees that basically two big tour buses are headed into the last chance bar and grill and she thinks at first that he's like dissing her music and then she's like oh I realized that that is not issue so he's on his day off and he's heading to the library and he's like gotta take a detour to go help out his job because it looks like it's about to be absolutely just murdered and this is where i'm like cannot relate and this is the thing that only happens in fiction 
Because anyone else, again, working in this capitalistic hellscape that we all unfortunately have to live off, your manager texts you, because again, now in our Lord's year, 2022, your manager just like texts you and they're like, world's on fire, need help tonight. And you're like, yep, not my problem. <laughs> <laughs> good luck. <laughs> With that, good luck. And this guy, no one even called him in. He just saw that four buses were pulling into his restaurant and was like, gotta go. And I'm like, only in fiction. Only in fiction does that happen. In real life, that would never. So I worked in, so I worked primarily in large, um, fast-paced, very organized, well, very organized restaurants in the Orlando area. And then when I moved to Albany, we started working at this really tiny pub that had like seven employees total, including the kitchen, including the managers. And um, I will say, I think this kind of thing would definitely happen. Andrew has called people to come into work when they're not scheduled because they got an unexpected rush. It's like small town, little hole in the walls that are like this. So yeah. like your little mom and pops. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. Obviously the big corporate places, it's like, nah, it's my yeah. day off. <laughs> yeah. Like you have 40 servers on today. I think you're good. You're, you'll be okay. Or you'll call someone, some other, you know, uh, idiot who will say yes. <laughs> who will agree. Yeah. You have like eight when, names on your list. I'm one of them. You'll be okay without me. Yeah, exactly. Which another weird thing, which I think this is only in fiction. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Some people might just pop into a place when it's busy and be like, hey, you need some help and get a job. But of course, Coley is with Norman <laughs> when this is going down. And so she just like. It's standing there kind of dumbfounded at first because it is kind of crazy. And they're like, are you going to help? And she's like, okay, I guess I'm doing that. And it's like, that that really is strange. No, that, like, that wouldn't happen, I don't think. That, yeah, like that is for sure something that only happens in fiction. But Although when I go to a busy restaurant and I'm a guest, I desperately want to help. I'm like, what can I do? What can I run food? What can I do? If y'all need me? Like, I'll, I'll, I got some non-slip shoes in my trunk. I'm here to help y'all out if you need me. I also am that person. I cannot stand going out to eat with people who, like, don't understand. that It's, like, a Saturday night and the restaurant is busy. And they're like, what's taking my server so long? What's taking our food so long? And I'm like, well, if you look around, you can tell that your server has eight tables right now. It's super yeah. weeded. She's doing her best. And it's a Saturday night and this restaurant is big. Do you think it's magic? Do you think the food is magically going to appear on our table? Because it's like going to take a minute to cook. That's how food works. Mm-hmm. That's what separates us from the other primates of the world. We cook our food. Okay. And yeah. to do that, it takes some time. <laughs> people are people. Okay. It's not magic. It's not some nameless, faceless robot in there. Those are human beings. So working, working real hard. The start of chapter four is I was like, if that ain't the damn truth. The first sentence is just, I never set out to be a waitress. Nobody does, Coley. Nobody, Nobody does. It just happens. Just one day you're like, oh, I'm doing this. And then you're like, this isn't a bad gig. And then other times you're like, I want to quit mid-shift. But then you're like, mm, the money's nice. <laughs> and then like, seven years money. later, you're still doing it. Yeah, and then you're still doing it, and you don't know how. So I was like, if that is not the most accurate thing, I never set out to be a waitress. And it's like, yep, nobody does. And then you're just doing it. So they were like, uh, Morgan basically is telling Isabel, this chapter starts, so like, we do need some extra help. You know, she could be useful. 
And before you know it, she is like, yep. And they're like, just minimum plus tips. That's it. It'll be fun. Coley Morgan said, you should do it. Rachel Singh sucks. Isabel told me a lot of people can't handle it. Um, True. And then Morgan, of course, quits once a shift. Just like, oh, it's not so awful. <laughs> <laughs> me. <laughs> Everyone in the service industry. It is the biggest love-hate relationship. But when all said and done, uh, at the end of this uh, page 46, uh, congratulations, Morgan said, handing, handing me a bottle of ketchup. Welcome to the last chance. And so her journey begins into serving. And oh my God, like I probably highlighted most of this chapter because there were just so many yep. good, so many good things. And this is 100% one of those things where you can tell that Sarah Dessen 100% works in the service industry. She gets it. She's one of us. But Sarah Dessen tips well and is nice and good to her service uh, staff. And that's, thank you, ma'am. We appreciate you. I bet she is. Uh, she's wonderful in, in many other ways. Um, she's wonderful as an author and probably just as a human being. This is a good Morganism. I like that she says, mayonnaise, Morgan said, is a lot like men. And then she <laughs> will like spiel about it. And then this is where, again, like the more I read about Morgan, the more I love her. Uh, so Coley says, this was the way Morgan taught, not in instructions, but pronouncements. Everything was a lesson. <laughs> I love Morgan's vibe. She's honestly fantastic. I do too. I also just want to mention in the beginning of the chapter, Morgan was marrying, marrying ketchups. And yeah. for all of you non-service industry peeps, that means when you pour the contents of one ketchup bottle into another to make it a full bottle. And I just want to let everyone know that I'm pretty sure that's illegal now and also yeah. disgusting. Yeah, it's a big health code violation for many. When I first started serving, it was a thing. We married all of our condiments. And of course, me being the absolute lame human being that I am would be like, Mr. Mayo and Mr. Mayo, I now pronounce you husband and husband. And then like the next one, I was like, you know, husband and wife, wife and wife, whatever. Because I was all about equality. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, but I, and like everyone hated me because I did it like every time. And I was the only one who thought it was funny. But yeah, it's definitely a health code violation now. And you are no longer allowed to do it. But yeah, I'm certain in 1990. I want to say maybe only in the last like five or six years that became like a big no-no it probably should have been a big no-no like way before that but when I started serving at my first job Applebee's oh god (laughs) (laughs) um yeah we definitely married our condiments and you would not be allowed to do that now that is correct we talk about so yeah Morgan's just like kind of showing her the ropes and she's teaching her like little things like Morgan is like 100% a type A personality. And I respect that because she notices all the little things. Like Isabel is just kind of like, whatever. I mix the dressing like this. I put the to-go stuff on the shelves like this. And Morgan is like, take out boxes on the left, couplets on the right. And she just goes around the venue and kind of like points out all the little mistakes. This next paragraph here on page 50 is actually in the beginning of the book um and i do feel like it needs to be read because it's great it's a little long but here we go for it um the first lunch when norman and i had stopped to pitch in was a constant blur of people and noise and food everyone was screaming out at each other isabel and morgan running past with orders norman flipping burgers and yelling things to Vic, the other cook who stayed stonely quiet and cool the entire time there's always one i'm never that person 
I shoveled ice like my life depended on it, answered the phone, and took orders, although I knew almost nothing about the menu. and messed up the register so badly, it stuck on $10,000 and beat for 15 minutes straight before Isabel, in a fit of rage, whacked it with a plastic water pitcher. It was us against them. Clearly, and for once, I was part of us. And that right there, ladies and gentlemen, is the service industry in a nutshell. Yes. Mm-hmm. It is. It's us against them. Mm-hmm. As Coley, who is someone who has definitely not felt like she has been part of an us ever in her life, I could 100% seeing her loving, serving, being a waitress and, and wanting, as she kind of mentions in this novel, she starts picking up doubles and you know, her mom talks to her and she's like, what are you doing? And I'm, you don't need to work, which of course she doesn't because her mom is obviously doing pretty well for herself now. But it's like, she likes it because there is just something about it that it is. It just, it's this weird bond that you like can't explain unless you've done it. Also, I highlighted that they serve hush puppies because that's important to me. So I love hush puppies. <laughs> um, yeah, <clears throat> this is the best thing about working in the service industry is the community, like, as I said, it, it and we definitely saw this as well um, during the pandemic when every single restaurant was shut down and nobody could work for several months. Like the the way that everybody came together during that time was just so beautiful. There's like so many organizations now that help unemployed or employed and and struggling um, restaurant industry employees and the restaurant industry, the restaurant organizing project by the DSA is doing a lot of really important work for workers' rights in the restaurant industry. And I love it. I love it. We're here for it. Viva la revolution. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yes, hush puppies. <laughs> my, uh, my mans loves hush puppies. I don't think I've ever had one in my life. Oh, it's so good. So good. The origin behind hush puppies is problematic, as is most things in this country. But ding, dang, if they are uh, delicious. Mm, good to know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And on page fifty-one, I highlighted basically the entire freaking page. Oh but... my god! Yes. <laughs> so much. To, so much to get into here. But she says, at first, just walking up to a table full of strangers had scared me to death. It made me nervous to stand there so exposed, all of those people looking at me. But then on about my third table, I finally got the nerve to glance up and realize that basically they weren't. For the most part, they were flipping through the menu, extracting sweet and low packets from their toddler's grip, or so lost in their own conversation that I didn't even register. They didn't know or care about me. Facts. Yeah. I like when she said um, 20 minutes later, they'd be flagging Isabel down. Sure, she was the one with their check. If that isn't the most accurate, like literally mm-hmm. you really are invisible to most of these people. And there are times that I'm flagged down to get someone something or a check and they legitimately think I'm their server and their server is someone of a different race, ethnicity, mm-hmm. gender. And I'm like, how did you confuse me for that person? Because that mm-hmm. is how people are. And if you ever want to feel as small as a piece of dirt on the ground work in the service industry because you don't realize how many people don't think that you're a human being and you're like okay cool yeah (laughs) yeah i had to leave the restaurant industry after the pandemic because when i came back um i was working at a restaurant in disney springs called raglan road shout out love it there love raglan road um i love my managers and most of them and um i just wish nothing but the best for them but 
um, I was getting so frustrated because it was like, okay, this is a global pandemic. Um, I'm unvaccinated. I'm serving you in Disney World and you guys are screaming at me and not tipping me and mm-hmm. complaining about mask mandates when I've been wearing a freaking four layer mask in 90 degree weather, uh, working in double on the patio. So yeah. Um, and I ended up having to leave Love because I just, time. <laughs> I couldn't, like, I could not emotionally do it anymore. I was like, I'm gonna, I'm going to. That was that was my real breaking point. I had a lot of fake breaking points, but that was my real one where I was like, I don't think I should do this anymore. <laughs> there was really nothing like having to wear a mask for a 12 hour shift, which honestly, I did, like at a certain point, you really did get used to it. Yeah. Like I really kind of didn't mind it anymore. But yeah, you're wearing it out in the heat, you know, working a, a patio shift or something at your job and having people yell at you about it when they're sitting there without one, because the rule was if they were, you know, actively eating or drinking, they were allowed to take one off. So everyone you're talking to is not currently wearing a mask, doesn't have to wear a mask for basically that hour that they're at their table. And they were like yelling at you and you're like, yeah, tell me about your problems, man. <laughs> like, literally, I'm like, yeah, I'm currently wearing one and will continue to wear one for your safety and my own. But like, I'm glad you're struggling here. <laughs> like it was just the the ungratefulness of because we had such this like camaraderie when we were all unemployed. I was unemployed personally for six months during that time. Um, and so we had this like camaraderie and we were all like banding together as like service industry professionals. And I thought when we go back to work, people are going to be grateful for us that we're here, that we're open, that we're serving them. And it was the complete opposite. I've never had oh, yeah. so many guests be so unbelievably ungrateful and rude. And um, it was truly like mind blowing, like the attitudes. But I mean, right after the pan, when the pandemic's still happening, there's still lockdowns. Yeah. You're getting a specific kind of person at Disney World mm-hmm. during those times. So mm-hmm. that doesn't help either. Yeah. It's. Uh... They're really, it it was so strange. I feel like there was like a set of people that were just really happy to be like out and about and were really appreciative of you and like hadn't dined in a restaurant in months. And you would get some of those, particularly when we first reopened, I felt like they came out. And then all of a sudden it turned into like the rudest people you've ever met in your life. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And it it was... It was unbelievable, really. And it just, it got me so frustrated that I was like, me and Andrew both were like, we can't do this. Of course, um, we both did end up serving again in Albany, but at like a mom and pop place that was like, the standards there are just completely different. <laughs> the vibes are completely different when you're not in a corporate Disney right. restaurant. Um, I, again, going back to this entire page that both of us highlighted because, yeah. Uh, yeah. I love this paragraph a little bit further down than the one we were just reading, uh, which is another great like organism. In this job, Morgan told me after a dinner rush, you get a lifetime of experience every day. A crisis will crop up, worsen, come to a head, and resolve itself on 15 to 30 minutes. You don't even have time to panic. You just push through. And it's like, yeah, it is honestly yeah. crazy how many like metaphorical fires you put out in a shift. And time is like such a weird concept in service Mm -hmm. because yeah it's like something seems really crazy but then like 15 minutes later you're like oh i'm good (laughs) like the amount of times myself or people i've worked with i've been like i'm in the weeds i've got this table i've got a recook i've got this i've got that and then like literally you see them 10 minutes later and they're like zip buddy dude (laughs) 
it and you're like, oh, they're they're good now. Because like you you do you have to get through that like ten minutes. Like when it rains, it pours. Like you have one table that like their food didn't come out right. Another table has split checks. Another table has this, and you think I'm never getting out of this. And then ten minutes later, everything's fine. Everything's <laughs> like, fine. Go. <laughs> yeah, and uh, like your team comes together. People get shit done. Like it's. <sighs> really I miss the rush. It's, it rush. really is a lifetime experience every day is the most. And again, so that's going to be like the longest episode, whatever. I'm going to edit some of this out. But Michael <laughs> Ann, um, obviously you can speak to this more yourself than I can. But I remember you saying when you were applying for your current position, the people were telling you not to put your service industry uh, stuff on your resume and you decided against that. And I think that is so true because I legitimately don't think that people realize that every day we operate a small business every day and you get so many curveballs. You, all these people in corporate America always talking about, do you handle pressure? Um, hi, we're at a high volume restaurant and I've worked seven Christmas seasons at it. Yeah. I think I yeah. understand pressure. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. I remember yeah, so by I did a coding boot camp as a lot of people did during the pandemic, and um, they gave me like a career coach who I ended up just like ghosting because her advice to me was to take my service industry experience off of my resume. And first of all, without my service industry experience, I don't have anything, so I don't understand what that was. Um, but yeah, she was being like very elitist, and I was like, and then my the position that I currently have right now, I actually got because of my service industry experience. That's why they hired me. That's why I've been working there for over a year or not over a year, almost a year. Um, so it was kind of, yeah, it's like if people don't understand how talented servers are, especially high volume, especially, um, you know, when you're working those holiday seasons in a theme park, like, I can't even describe to you guys like we probably did at Raglan during the holidays. If I worked a double, I was doing over $3,000 in sales by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like the standard is probably like, I don't know. What do you think? Like a standard night is like a thousand dollars in sales. Yeah. I'd say that's pretty fair. So yeah, it was like, from like uh, anywhere from like a thousand to 1500, give or take, yeah. depending obviously on how busy the night is. Yeah. yeah, average would be somewhere around like a thousand. Mm-hmm. When you're in the holiday season, you're getting up to like three, three and a half thousand. Like, that's a lot. You don't understand yeah. like how much you're doing and how much you have to manage. Um, people just don't appreciate it and they definitely should. Yeah. And I, I definitely, there is this, this elitist mm-hmm. culture around people in the service industry. And, and I, I've met people from so many different backgrounds and, so many different, like, I think a lot of people just think that, I don't know, I guess we're like uneducated buffoons yeah. or something that like anyone could do it. And I'm like, most people I work with are college educated or very smart, had maybe a different career, decided they didn't like the hours or the pay and decided to switch to this. Like that happens literally all the time. And I don't think people see it that way. And they, they really should. Again, not like I'm saying that college degree means that everything, but yeah, I think a lot of people are like, you little, you little yeah. snot face, whatever. And it's like, no, like people can make a career out of this. Like it's, it's, people yeah, <laughs> it's a very real job. Like 
there's a, there's a bartender at Raglan specifically that I think about all the time. He is like the best service industry employee I've literally ever met in my entire life. Like he is killer at that job. And it's like, to think that somebody could even begin to think negative thoughts about him because this is what he's been doing for his whole life is so mind blowing to me because like the talent that in the skill set that comes out from working in a restaurant like this is it's incomparable to anything else in my opinion. Yeah. I heard. I but anyway, moving on. Um, yeah. So her mom is like, why are you working? And she's like, I like mm-hmm. it. Um, and then I also want to mention on page 52 at the end of her shift, she's like, but I, but that night I made 50 bucks. All mine. <laughs> and I, I was, was like, like Oh, <laughs> Yikes, that's like two tables. I know. And I was like, I guess for like a little mom and pop restaurant in Colby, North Carolina, 1999, that's good. But when I read that, I go, oh, yikes. Yeah, big yikes. If I was like, oh, she's excited about that. That's cute. Like I get to, I got to a point where I was like, if I'm making less than $200, it's not even worth my time. And she's like, I have wasted gas to get here. And she's like, $50, $50, mine, all of that. And we're like, oh, oh sweet summer. Tr- Again, she's 15, so like, what bills does she have? But like, cool girl, 50 bucks. She's happy with that? All right. <laughs> you go, girl. You go, girl. We're proud of you. So oh. then um, it's the end of this shift. And this is like one of those moments that you just love in the restaurant industry. Um, they close up, basically. They finish up. And then they go out onto the roof and they hang out and watch a baseball game and talk about Morgan's fiance, Mark, who we find out is a semi-professional baseball players. Yeah. I think. I assume he's like um, in the minor league or something, give or take. Mm-hmm. She talks about how they met, which is Isabel spilled coffee on him and then didn't yeah. keep moving. Didn't like do anything to like apologize, which is so funny to me. Like what? Um, everything I know about, uh, I almost said Miserable. <laughs> she was a little miserable. Oh. Um, everything I know about Isabel so far, I'm like, yeah, that tracks. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like something she would do. But I was like, geez, I can't imagine being so busy that you wouldn't apologize that you spilled coffee on someone. Yeah, exactly. Or like clean it up or do anything. So Morgan saves the day and he starts flirting with her. And then that's kind of their meet cute. Um, but one thing. I wanted to ask is, do we know how old Morgan is? No, I, I haven't gathered. They haven't specifically said yet. And I have not gathered how old she is yet. So I hope at some point soon that will be answered. But yeah, I'm not positive how old her or Isabel are. Hmm. I wonder. Cause she was like, at one, um, page 54, she's like, oh, you'll find someone. You're just a baby still. I'm like, how old is she? I wonder. Yeah. Lord knows Ashley was married at 21. So in the, in the mm-hmm. dozen verse, who's to say? Mm-hmm. I like here on 55, which kind of goes to what we were saying a minute ago about how like people kind of, you know, look down at us sometimes. But um, uh, she says, the important thing to remember, Morgan always said, is that you are a human being and worthy of respect. Sometimes customers will make you doubt that. Oh, girl. Yeah, I feel that. A hundred percent. feel that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you'll always have that fucking guy. 
Oh my God. Really quick. I know we're at two hours here, but let me tell you my craziest <laughs> serving story. Okay. Or should I, I'll save this. I'll save it for the next episode. I'll save it. All right. Please episode, remember because now I'm I like will really never forget. to hear it. I <laughs> will like, I'll never um, forget that story. Never forget yeah, this. We'll, we'll get into some more serving rants, I'm sure, in the next few episodes. Um, yeah, that's a beautiful line. Um, Morning is for more mantras about like good attitude, good money, shit attitude, shit money. Morgan, she still has so much advice. Listen, I had a shit attitude and I made good money, so I don't know what you're talking about, Morgan. <laughs> you're like, no, Morgan, it ain't true. You're like, I can tell you, I'm the poster child. It's not true. Yeah, then we kind of see, oh, I saw Morgan quit uh, three times in my first two weeks, which, yep, yep, relatable. Um, yep, but then we see, yeah, this is when some days I pulled double shifts working for Morgan so she could wait for Mark to call. Yeah. Gross. I'm like, ooh, what's up with that girlfriend? And then we get to Mira back at the house who is watching her sister, aka Coley's mother, mm. doing her like acrobatics, whatever, on the TV. And this is honestly kind of like, a bittersweet moment here she's saying you know like um it's just amazing what she's done you know i never doubted your mother could get thin or conquer the world for that matter which like don't love the whole whatever but i like her being like oh i never doubted that she could conquer the world and you know she's like you know i'm just so like she was just so sure of herself you can tell that like mira might not entirely understand the whole Kiki Sparks aerobics thing, but she is like really proud of her sister for like what she has like accomplished. Um, and then the very end of this chapter, I kind of love this whole part where she's like, Mira's watching leaning in close. I just love this program. The weight stuff, she paused, shaking her head. That's not important to me. We've always been different that way, but I just love to see what she can do. It's infectious, you know? That's why I always watch. And that's just like, kind of like heartbreaking and beautiful and again mm-hmm. i just love that like mira is like so okay with who she is um mm-hmm. and she's still proud of her sister and she's not watching because she's like i want to lose weight and i'm proud of my sister for losing weight it's more like that's my sister and i'm proud of what she's doing and i'm always going to watch her and be proud of her even though obviously that relationship seems to have you know be kind of on the rocks and be soured but i just love that mira is like the weight stuff doesn't matter to me. Like I'm who I am and that's fine. I'm like, yes, Mira. Yeah. Love that it, for you, Mira. I also think this is like, you know, cause then Kali, Kate, oh my God. Coley sits down with her too, to watch her mom. And I feel like it's just a couple people, two people who love this woman and miss this woman. And yeah. are like, you know, all I can get is her on TV, which is, also very sad you know it's like fame and wealth is not everything it's not the truth yeah i think that they just miss both of them miss Catherine, and all they get now is kiki sparks and that is very heartbreaking because it seems like Catherine was a really awesome person and i'm sure she's still in there deep down and hopefully she can emerge again yeah um that takes us to end of chapter four which is where we will be ending this episode, this I'm going to warn all of you, Keeping the Moon episodes are probably going to be a little bit longer than average. I can't stress enough. We have a lot of feelings on body image and body positivity and a hell of a lot of feelings about 
the service industry, obviously, as people that have worked in it for years. So please join us next week as we dive into some more of this wonderful novel. And we're going to, we're leaving y'all with a tease. We're going to get to hear Michael Ann's like crazy service. Please get excited about that. I'm really excited about that. So yeah, um, just a little bit of admin for y'all. We will be doing Keeping the Moon over the next three weeks. That is our goal. So again, they might be a little bit longer of episodes. Who's going to complain about that? I hope none of you complain about that. Hopefully or, no one. Yeah, hopefully no one. I think we've got some good juicy content coming out of this one. So the next few weeks, we'll be getting to that. We will be taking two weeks off at the end of December to enjoy the holiday season with uh, friends and family and work does get a little hectic for me during that time of year because service industry in Orlando, but um, <laughs> times. so yeah, come along and join us. Uh, help us keep the moon. <laughs> we'll be back next week to read some more. Um, and then starting in the new year, we'll be back to depress everyone with dreamland. So get excited and nothing's so happy new year, like toxic relationships. Woohoo! For more service industry rants, uh, next week on, on hate spinner. Thanks. Thanks for listening everyone. Bye y'all.